She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out, a podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. You get in the like four week range and you say, it's still a long time. And then it's like three weeks. It's like, no, no, that's, it's still a long time. And now we're two weeks ahead. You're like, holy shit, I got to pack. Yeah, it's like, oh, (laughs) damn it. So you are going in two weeks. This is a beautiful idea, but I'm not sure I actually want to do this thing. (laughs) (laughs) I want to have done it. When the word myth becomes something that's false, then how can you actually relate to myth as something that is beyond true? Yes, that's a great question. Because I think actually that I remember in high school, I ran into that exact problem. And and I wish that I I think not not having English as my first language helps because I don't think I had a relationship to the word myth until I was already like, you know. That was a block for me. I didn't see any value in myth. like yeah cool like the elder thing but also like you need to do this because like there's because you need to do this because you need to do this for yourself because you alistair and if you become an elder or not like you need to do this (laughs) now like for you not for somebody else well hello beautiful people and welcome to a brand new episode of the far out podcast welcome it's Julie Roxanne Alster, yo. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Today we are recording a podcast that will come out exactly when Alistair is on his vision fast in the Sonoran Desert. And we are talking about this. We're talking about who he's going to do this vision quest with and the kind of framework. And it's it's like a philosophical, intellectual map of reality that I feel like you've been steeped in for years and I'm really starting to come into it at a at what feels like a pretty intense speed. And it feels nice to finally talk about it on the podcast. I feel like it's been a long time coming, but I think you are starting to have enough of a grasp on the ideas that you could that we could talk about it mm. and yeah you're going in two weeks and so this felt like well we gotta talk about this because this is like a really huge deal and it's right around the corner and i think it's helping you get out of denial that you're going <laughs> and that you realize you need to start packing and yeah, planning I, I have for some, camping i got some emails in my inbox for about the logistics for it <laughs> so i'm like oh god i gotta, <laughs> gotta get on top of that <laughs> So join us for a lovely conversation where I think we talk about things that mean a lot to us in our personal life and in ever, in our work. It's really shaping a lot of what we do. So lovely to start talking about this. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Good morning, Far Out people. Well, hello, everyone. It's good to have you here. As always. I am uh, preparing. I'm two weeks out. I'm still in the denial phase. Uh, but I am preparing for a big journey. Yeah. Um, and we thought we'd talk about it a little bit because we realized I don't think we really... No, we haven't talked. We I don't even know if we've mentioned it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, if you follow us, you might know that that we're Bill Plotkin nerds and we're into... You're more of a nerd than I am. You're becoming I'm, I'm a, a nerd, nerd. Yes, but I'm a nerd through like symbiosis. You know, it's like, it's just like, is that the word? No. 
Osmosis. Yes, yes that's the word that's you're looking the word for. I'm looking for. Yeah, but it's actually uh, his work. Uh, he runs an in- institute organization named Animas, and Animas is it is a word that Jung coined. I think it's Latin though, so he took it from from Latin. But it's been kind of repurposed uh, as a description for the inner feminine mm-hmm. of a man's soul, mm-hmm. like the. Uh, and uh, for a woman, it would be animus, mm-hmm. but animus. And, and animus is often commonly referred to your anima. Is mm-hmm. kind of re- There's kind of a long tradition. I'm actually thinking this also shows up in the golden compass, I think, the, the anima. I'm not sure if that's what they call Oh, that, that, no, they're called demon, demons. Demons, demons, mm-hmm. uh, right. But, you know, similar ideas, kind of, but anima is kind of like your soul, is, is basically. And, Bill Plotkin's work, um, I got turned on to him probably about like four years ago. He's been a huge influence for not only how I kind of live my life and, you know, intellectually, but also for our work. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's been, he's been mapping, he's been doing a lot. It's, it's, it's probably too much for one podcast episode to talk about, but um, he's been, map- one of his main thing that he's been doing is been mapping out what he calls the descent to soul which um, the main tool, although there are many that facilitate this, is the um, like pan-cultural vision fast. Mm-hmm. So um, the vision fast is something that's done in many um, cultures. And it's something that Bill Pawkin, he was studying extraordinary, extraordinary states of consciousness, kind of like going that way as a research uh, psychologist. And he went on his first vision fast in his early 30s and he had a kind of life-changing experience. And from there, it reoriented his life toward the direction of soul, which we'll get into in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And through uh, and toward the, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, the method, the skill, the um, tradition, the initiatory tool of vision quests, mm-hmm. which at their core is uh, a period of solitude out in wilderness where you are fasting. And you are asking uh, the earth, nature, the cosmos for a vision mm-hmm. for you and for your people. So I hope that's an okay introduction okay, to this. That's a, that's, a, that's a good introduction. Yeah. That's a good There's so much more. He's an intellectual force. He's inspired many. He's written many, many books. And, and, and they're all good. I've read them all. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read the introduction thick. to one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're thick and dense, yeah. but they're totally worth digesting. And yeah. The introduction that I read was more like a story. Like yeah. I, I expected them to be a lot more intellectually dry, and I think that they, they actually, my sense with what I read is, is probably ideas interspersed with stories, with you know, painting good pictures of, so that it doesn't feel like just. He's know. intellectual, but this is very um, experiential as well, and I think he does a good job trying to. So mm. he brings in a lot of anecdotes, a lot of stories. It's it's very poetic. Mm-hmm. It's very image based. It comes from a tradition. Bill Plotkin himself is a Jungian analyst, so he studied uh, with the the Jungian Institute and got credentialed that way. Which is, I, I think, it's four years uh, after you've got your. Uh, I think you need a master's or something in psychology, for, and then you go and do that. So it's like post grad. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's in the Jungian tradition, um, but this is definitely, I would say, post Jungian because it's basically a, it incorporates a lot of the Jungian perspective, which is incredibly valuable and useful and insightful. But he's also taking it a, a big step further into 
I, I, I'm almost hesitant to say this because it's it's such a cliche, but like coming back to nature. Mm-hmm. But I would say coming back to our birthright mm. and being in relationship with the more than human world. I think that's it, a better way of saying it in, than in, coming back to nature. Yes, they feel in like, the most radical way, like developing a relationship, speak like uh, a relationship across the human species line mm-hmm. and with the entire cosmos. I've been reflecting on this recently because I, I, I am currently going through going to sound a little douchey, but I don't have better words for this, but like a little bit of an awakening around this this stuff myself. And uh, it's really uh, textural. In, like, I don't know, uh, again, not really a good word, but it feels like life gained is gaining more dimension and kind of deepening. Depth. Yeah, deepening. But like, yeah, so that I guess that's what I mean by textural, but it it I've been a really basic way that I've been reflecting on this recently is how realizing if we say someone, we mean an, a human, but that like as I'm starting to deepen my relationship with the more than human world, I'm realizing like no the plant, the trees behind my house are someone the stars, the, the rocks, stars, the river, the the, the the animals, the you know, I, I ins- like realizing, realizing basically how impoverished we've made our mind by thinking that everything that is not human is a thing. Yeah, objectifying it's, it. It's right, so right. Part, sad. Part of this, what's what very radical about this is this is a, a Bill Plotkin's work and the community and, and organization behind it got to be one of the mo- in my mind one of the most sincerest and radical forms of really trying to relate with the world subject to subject Mm. rather than subject to object Mm. a a cosmos of subjects a universe of subjects and i think it one of the reasons i've been really ripe for it and these kind of happened at the same time actually it's not one really came first actually if anything i think bill pawkins work came first but it blends and it seems to play really well with shamanism Mm -hmm. shamanism is also a place where it's a world of subjects Mm -hmm. right True shamanism. Yeah, you're you're relating. You're relating with the spirits. You're relating with the plants. You're relating with the directions. All these things. Before we go down too deep into this like poetic space that I find myself in, whenever I start to think about this, Bill Plotkin founded Animus Valley Institute, which I I want to say the tagline of that of the institute is guiding the descent of soul since 1980. And yeah. I think this is great. Yeah. I, that, like, I love that tagline for some reason. I just feel like, yep, yeah, that's epic. And you're going in two weeks. Yeah. Because we're, but we are like, you know, that weird period where you've wanted something for so long and it's, you finally make it happen, but it's still like months out. And then you get in the like four week range and you say, it's still a long time. And then it's like three weeks. It's like, no, no, that's, it's still a long time. And now we're two weeks ahead. And I was like, holy shit, I got to pack. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> damn it. So you are going in two weeks. This is a beautiful to... idea, but I'm not sure I actually want to do this thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to have done it. Yeah. I don't want to do it. Yeah. And it uh, feels similar in that way to when I uh, left for India. Mm, yeah. India was one of those things in my mind. It's like, mm. I need to go there. It's very important I go there. I totally agree I need to go there. And then when it comes time to go there, you're like, yeah. oh, God, this is edgy. Yeah. And then um, and then you met me there, so I don't know where you're going to meet on this. But... Uh, hopefully Seoul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a guess. Know, just hopefully. That's kind of what I'm going for. Uh, but 
Okay, so I just want to like anchor this conversation yeah, before please. it goes to weird and bear with us because i think the weirdness is this is part weird of the medicine. this is weird this is, yeah so. this is very weird and if it's, it's so beautiful too i think, think i think it's an amazing it's to me, so it, funny to think that we found weirder like that ayahuasca has, has now be, become this like no it's kind of normal and this is weird yeah, yeah. like oh my god what the fuck <laughs> is it how weird is it if julie roxanne and alistair think it's weird i it's such a beautiful perspective of life and sometimes i wonder you know Sorry, this is just a philosophical aside. Yes, yeah, so can we can, do it? Can we do it no, after I set up this? The, no, let me. Let me. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, okay, I'm trying to go faster because I can feel that you and I are just gonna start going into this weird space. You've been trying to attend different <laughs> things by this institute for a while, and. Either timing never worked or we were too busy studying ayahuasca. Also, and, these things fill that. up months and months in advance. So they're, they're, they're very, very sought after. challenging to get into. And it requires travel because you're going, these are held in wilderness across the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for a while there, you had to drive to the place. Yeah, too, COVID because, made it even. Yeah, like there it, were less offers. So that's another and, reason why it's, it's yeah. taken so long. But I think you, I don't know exactly when you started being ready for real, but I feel like it's been a while that you've been trying to make this happen. And so. I feel like I might for, only be ready now, yeah, honestly. I'm not yeah, sure well, if I have been. Yeah, I think it's. I think a lot of my illness over works. the last year has been preparing the ground. Yeah. And so in two weeks, you will be in the Sonoran Desert in Arizona. Yeah. And you will be spending 10 days in the process of a vision quest mm -hmm. which is going to be and you can we can you can talk about it more but i just want to again like set up sort of base basic things that are words that mean something you're going to have like maybe four like a few days like four days of preparation then you're going to have like four days of complete solitude in three days wilderness. of complete solitude three days four days fasting Uh, and uh, and three days of complete solitude where you in the wilderness, yeah. uh, camping and just like really like Pretty on exposed. the earth, yeah. yeah. Especially in a desert yeah. for setting, that's going to be intense. And then you're going to come out of it, and there's a few days of reintegration and in, and and integration with the guides that are present, Help, helping you. I think um, helping helping you share and uh, what what you experienced. And, yes, and that. And kind of, I guess, in, in that way, make it real. Not make it real, but, you know. Well, make help, it. help you step into it. Yeah. I yeah, think probably. Yeah. And, and uh, because it's, you know, this is one of the things that's also as I've come to know this organization and also get into this initiatory work more that I've realized is an incredibly valuable and rare aspect of it, which is um, elders who can take you through these kind of rites, no. who can guide this, because this is. It's dangerous territory, and it's unknown. Not just because it's the desert. Yeah, I think that's no. Uh, I it's think dangerous we, psychological territory. Like you're you're descending into things that that you may have covered up for good reason. Mm -hmm. um, elders are an important part of doing this and helping us kind of navigate this place. People who have done it before, and one of the big to get a sense of Bill Pawkins' bigger purpose, I think, is um, one of the big criticism he, he kind of levels on our culture and Western society is um, I think it's been, it's become fairly, you hear it a lot, like we don't have, we've lost our elders, we've forgotten our elders, we don't have our elders. Totally true. Pluckin would add to that and say, uh, yeah, but we don't even have initiated adults. 
we have a bunch of adolescents. Most of our culture is run by adolescents, mm-hmm. like boy, like uh, boys and girls that are that are egocentric and and not really tuned into a a greater perspective. And the idea of an initiation, particularly oftentimes in indigenous settings, was the when the boy or the girl was ready, the initiation was there to initiate to start. Mm-hmm. their life. They weren't oftentimes considered an adult until they came back from their initiation with a vision mm-hmm. or a name. Mm-hmm. Because that was up to that point, they were living a very egocentric life, which was natural and and uh healthy yeah. to, for development, right? But at some point the tribe, re- the community realizes they're ready and they are initiated into sacred waters or into in into something deeper. And they emerge out of this having died, in a way, dying to their old life and being born into a new, bigger life. And something that seems to happen in this process, if it's, if it's done well, and the initiation technology seems to, to be designed to do this, is you come out of it not identifying with the ego as your identity or as the center of your universe. You come out of it with some maybe seed or maybe full-blown connection with something greater mm-hmm. and and you you come out of it with the ego is now the ego is now displaced it is secondary it is a supporting tool it was good you developed it you needed to develop it and it maybe needed to be central for that to happen but it's no longer about you it's no longer about you in that sense mm-hmm. it's about you in a much grander sense mm-hmm. and that is when and this is also how you get in touch with your particular gifts like your particular ways of being like your gifts that you can give to your community. This is when you can start to actually uh, have something to offer your community and serve your community. And as you get older, and this would become your, this would, would be the path to becoming, if you hadn't, if you weren't an initiated adult at this point, you coming into that to your ecological niche, which is what uh, another way to describe soul coming into your soul powers, coming into the place only you can inhabit mm-hmm. in the cosmos, this uh, in the place you were destined to inhabit in some way, the place you've always been. Mm-hmm. As you remember that or reclaim that or recover that and embody that, first you leave the egocentric development path. You leave that. That is, it's like an old, it's like a molting. Mm-hmm. It's an old skin that no longer, it was useful and no longer serves. It might be even more akin to say, it's like the caterpillar's body that, or whatever's left of the caterpillar, and then you become the butterfly. That's mm-hmm. probably more equivalent of the kind of transformation. It's not really just a molting. It's, it's actually a transformation. Mm-hmm. You are a different mm-hmm. being when you come out of this. And then you are on the path of egocentric development. And this is a path that Bill Pockin has also mapped out with the help of the directions and, and a lot of Everything's embedded in a natural language in in Plotkin's work, which is extremely powerful. And this would be as as you 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 develop into true mature adulthood, where no now you're no longer just now you you're no longer just offering your your unique gifts to the world in a non egocentric way for this for the service and benefit. Um, maybe uh, initially mainly for your human community, but it's embedded in a larger community of uh the more than human world and as you grow in this you might you you might apprentice to 
mechanisms uh, or delivery systems for your your soul gifts, right? You might have to find whole new ways of uh, being in the world that allow you to to give what you have discovered. This might be completely different than what you thought in the first part of your life. And from there, you might actually start reinventing or creating new mechanisms as you start to uh, kind of become gift, uh, skilled in these delivery mechanisms. You might actually start creating your own and regenerating culture and regenerating the world. And if you continue down that way, you start to come into elderhood. And elderhood would be where you're starting to uh, care for for uh, the community and you're starting to care and tend to the cosmos. And your interests and your center of gravity become less focused on maybe the here and now and become more focused on the the eternal mm. and the infinite as well as the past and future and and all that um so it's this beautiful kind of it's it's a really incredible vision that's mapped out like a lot of natural symbolism and imagery and also very influenced by psychology par- particularly depth depth psychology or um, particularly young a lot of young's work but many other things too the 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 vision fasting the directions are uh, a lot of there's a lot of cultural influences i've been just struck by it uh it it rings it rings true to me i've had that experience before and i feel like i have no choice but to kind of follow those things when when they hit me like that mhm mhm hmm okay beautifully explained beautifully painted i was going to say we should describe soul but i think you did it So we don't need to do that. And we, Here, we can David White has some there's a it's it's definitely tricky. Plotkin does a lot of work around this because he's changed what I think what I thought soul meant mm-hmm. in in a way that I think is really helpful mm-hmm. and uh more true. But he also uses David White who's a poet. Um he uses the phrase it's the the image at the center that you were born with or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's like the image at the center of your life that you were born with. Yeah. Um, I think maybe a, maybe a non-complete way, but a, maybe something that if you've never heard this idea of soul presented that way, destiny is is kind of a... I just like, feel like it would be very related, hard. Yeah, yeah it is. It, it's just, it, it's, it's, in, it's in the constellation of... Your of, ecological niche, right? If you think about a fox, right, in the, in the forest, mm-hmm. the fox... The, what, what is the fox's ecological niche in a very real sense? Well, first off, one interesting thing about it is we'll never know, right? Mm-hmm. Only that fox can inhabit that niche. We may see some of it, and we might be able to stroke, paint it in broad terms, mm-hmm. but the details of it, there's much that's hidden, right? Mm-hmm. We'll never know exactly where the fox goes, exactly what the fox, uh, the relationships with the world that the fox has. Yeah. Some of that is going to be secret. And mysterious. Plus, it's also it's not a geographical niche. It's it's a it's an internal like how does the that fox relate to roses or yeah. to like how does it relate to every every aspect it's of like the, maybe that the particular fox has a very special special relationship with dandelion. Or, it is, you know, like it's, it's you can almost think of soul as the almost maybe like the gross like the entire collection of relationships this fox has with the world. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and if, it, if that's hard to imagine, that's because like we have to abandon or or let go of our analytical, precision, rational defining mm-hmm. to approach soul. This is part of the vision fast 
mm-hmm. that you do is to let go, like to let go of some of that things because mm-hmm. you we can't approach soul in that way. That's uh, it, uh, soul. Soul comes through images and metaphor and symbol. All these soul is like a, a different layer of consciousness yeah. um, that we don't always have access to in the same way. And you may know, like, as I described this, you may be able to think of some times where things were shift. Soul is kind of like, you know, a dark forest or a moonlit forest on a full moon in the middle of the night. Like mm. it, it presents differently and different things show, show up. And so it's very nested in poet, po- like, you know, a word that comes up often in this world is like mythopoetic. It's very, it's, which is kind of like, well, it's like the two words that emerge to it, myth and poetry. Mm-hmm. It's this kind of realm where we, we, uh, we might be able to um, approach soul. Yeah. It's so funny. Just a side note on the whole myth thing. We watched a movie the other night and in the movie, it was like a very uh, like down to earth New York people were being like the 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 main characters and discussing like making some some of the philosophical sense of the movie and they kept using the word myth but the way that they were using the word myth was something that's that's false and I was like oh my god I've that's such a that's such a wrong way of using the word myth but I actually think that a lot of people relate to the word in that way I don't so, think it's a wrong way to use it it's just not the only way yeah yeah, can, can, yeah I guess it's not the wrong it just felt so limiting because it's like when when the word myth becomes something that's false then how can you actually relate to myth as something that is beyond true yes yeah, that's a great question because I think actually that Um, I remember in high school, I ran into that exact problem, and and I wish that I think I had... not, not having English as my first language helps because mm-hmm. I don't think I had a relationship to the word myth until yeah. I was already like you know that in was this a block for me. World. I didn't see any value in myth when yeah. I was growing up because mm. I felt like it was like why are we why are we studying stories that aren't true? Yeah, and um, that would be the role kind of of an elder, yeah, or at least of an initiated adult, yeah, to to help a child see the difference between those two and, and exactly what you said it's like well yeah myths aren't um true in the normal sense but myths are actually true on a different plane yeah and in a pl- maybe a plane that is uh beyond be- tr- beyond yeah, yeah it, or it, it, an aggregate truth or mm-hmm. it points to a different truth yeah and and the fact that we can't differentiate between those words is part it's a symptom of the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I hear that. And I think uh, when you were describing, you know, the the kind of abandoning the the analytical mind, I think like a lot of I think I've said on the podcast before like some of my experiences of last year, my own uh, grappling and struggles during that time, there were times where it felt like I was going crazy. And I've come to like revisit these times recently and realize like Oh no, I was just being defocused in a pretty like soul way. Like I was, it's almost like my, my ability to like focus on details, but at a, at a consciousness level, I couldn't do it at times. And then I, it, it just felt like my, my, my eyes would defocus and then I would be able to almost take in the, taking the world through like a fisheye lens. But I'm not just talking about vision. I'm talking about like, At, at, a, at a deeper level and and like what you're describing 
just reminds you like that's the kind of consciousness that is required to be able to enter the mythopoetic land of soul. And it's also why it's dangerous because this is an underworld journey. And you like, I think legitimately so, like you can run into things that maybe you're not ready for if you haven't prepared. Yeah. And it can, you know, from what I understand, this could be damaging for you if you're not ready. Not everyone yeah. comes out of butterflies. Some no. of the caterpillars never make it. So it's something to take seriously. You know, I'm, th I'm thinking that maybe it would be good. Okay, so maybe just for a little bit more context around the vision fast, like from what I understand, having not gone on this myself, but read quite a lot about it and immersed myself in this world. BT dubs, when the day that this podcast is coming out, you'll be, I think, emerging. You'll have emerged. What Do you know what the date will be? I think it's the 8th. The eighth? March 8th. Oh, yeah. All of just becoming out of mine. So yeah. if you listen to this on that day, I'll be in the Sonoran Desert and I will probably be coming out of my fast, yeah. returning to the world. That's pretty... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that made it real, didn't it? Yeah, it did. <laughs> I don't like when you do that. <laughs> um, but so... so Going back to the vision fast, there's an you you're there with elders, right? And you're there with other seekers and wanderers, um, and and the elders are going to help prepare you for to to step foot on this holy ground, right? Like kind of, you know, the imagery of Moses when he sees the burning bush. I think he's told, "Take off your shoes. You're you're on holy ground." This is kind of you know, there's something in that. There's something similar here. We have to prepare ourselves for this, especially if we want. You know, because we are really going off the edge and no one knows. There's nobody that can. So you, you have to be well equipped. You're going alone and and no one knows what you're going to find. Yeah. You know, there is a time where this might not be psychologically appropriate for a lot of people. If they're living in a state of woundedness or different places, there are things you can do to prepare for this. Uh, Plotkin goes into that quite a lot, too. Mm -hmm. But you have elders there that are going to help seed the ground and then the middle of this thing is you do the thing, right? And and you were given some tools, maybe some ceremonies to act out at, or, or go through as you do it. You're instructed and guided by those who've gone before you. Uh, and then you come back and my general sense is the elders are going to help you relate to your vision, relate to your experience and understand what, you know, I'm hesitant to say what it means because it's such, we can't always explain extract yeah, yeah. meaning in the same way from this realm but how to live with it yeah, yeah. how to live with the images or how to keep being in relationship with it i yeah. think is better than meaning it's like meaning it's just, actually can kill these things in yeah. a weird way because then it becomes conceptualized then you're not relating to it as a as, as an as, as a as a thing that's alive, alive. Yes. yeah and and so it's about dipping into this deep place of numinosity of vital energy um that our culture in general has forgotten exists um, and has solidified in quite a ways as a result, right? Yeah. And we're going back to this place which is enlivening and regenerating but also destabilizing mm -hmm. and also going to dissolve quite a lot, right? These things are going to change you rather than you change them. Mm -hmm. like we, are, we are fishing for things powerful beyond measure that are actually going to to reshape us. It's funny though because as you say that I'm not, a, I'm, I don't know, maybe you would would you agree to the fact that I don't think we're fishing as much as we're being fished? I was kind of drawing off the, oh man, is it a yeats? The golden, is it the golden, the silver fish and the golden apple or something like that? No idea what you're talking about. Okay. 
<laughs> Someone will, I think, listening. It's a it's a very famous poet or a poem, and I think it's by Yeats. Okay. Uh, and he's talking about one day going down, um, to going down to the river and fishing and pulling up a silver carp or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think probably it goes both ways. There's yeah. probably a fishing rod on both sides of this, like yeah. Uh, dimension, right? Yeah. You're fishing, but really, but the right. the other side's also fishing for you. I think yeah. there's probably truth in both sides of it, depending which way you look at it. Mm-hmm. Let me give an exact example that I actually think will play well into that. So, but before I do the the vision fast, what you're you're going like we're we're trying, yeah, we're we're trying. I guess we are presenting ourselves and asking to have some sort of encounter with this realm that we're calling soul. Mm -hmm. It might come through an image. It might come through some sort of transmission or words that just pop into our head. It might come through like a dialogue with a plant or Mm -hmm. something from the extra human or the beyond human world, more than human world. It might be an actual felt sense like or a dream. These are all these are all ways that they seem to come through. And these things may take a long time to start to reveal their workings or their intentions. These are images that you will work with and be with perhaps for years before they make any sense Mm -hmm. sometimes and 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 future ones might help you understand previous ones and things like that and i think numinous is one of the best words i know to describe this realm um from my own experiences with it there's something extraordinarily numinous about it something like glowing with like a energy and and a and a and a vibration that's just otherworldly almost. Shimmering. Yeah, yeah. So here's a story from, I think this is one of the things, which is why I'm so receptive to Bill Pawkins work, because it's still helping me try to understand an experience I had. Mm-hmm. And and I've told this on the podcast, so but it was a long time ago, and I'm not going to tell it in its entirety. I'm just going to get to the try to get to the point. And I think it was 2014, I recently, and these soul encounters often come at times of massive, potentially massive transition also. And I don't know if this was a soul encounter, but I do think this was in the realm of what Plotkin was describing. Mm -hmm. So, but I had left my job. Um, I, uh, I was, uh, broken off. Uh, I actually hadn't, but she had broken off the relationship at this point with a, a significant other. And I'd left the country and I went to travel in Peru for three weeks. And I ended up at a, this is when I met the medicine, um, in ayahuasca, and I had uh, gone out to the hills outside of Cusco to sit with a, a Quechua tribe um, for three days, two nights, uh, two ayahuasca ceremonies, and it was a silent retreat and um, fasting, and there was some cleansing and stuff that was also involved, and uh, translators because the shamans didn't speak English and. Uh, on the second night, I had a, I'll call it a vision, but it was more than a vision. And at the crux of this, uh, like at the, what was most radiant and numinous was this light being shows up and there may have been more than one and it took a somewhat human form, but, and it was presented in a way that felt like an angel mm. or, or a guardian angel, perhaps. Um, something of that was my the only concepts I had for what this could this could be, and it felt to be at a vibration or a frequency that felt like pure love. It, it vibrated at a frequency where a body was no longer necessary in the way we need one, and it presented itself, and it started to heal me 
in way in in this way where it was taking a circle like around my body going like vroom, vroom, up and down from my toes to my head and like these just vibrations of bliss and joy that I've never felt even having you know taken MDMA mm-hmm. um like otherworldly bliss and joy and love uh this came after some pretty dark shit too <laughs> uh, so this was really nice and, and then the contrast it, really made it. And it started healing parts of my body that I would find out later um, were were actually in need of a lot of healing. Uh, I was diagnosed later with a chronic and found out that the places I my hand my hands were being directed to perform something like Reiki or something or energy healing on myself. It's my neck and my lower belly, and these are exactly the places um, with thyroid issues that mm-hmm. often show up. And and so these were being he he was kind of through my body directing me to heal these. And and then and my jaw was just shaking uncontrollably, just mm. chattering. Like, it was it was crazy. My teeth were just... <laughs> whole body, just these cosmic shivers. And, and then this being shoves his arm, hand, light into my chest, like, in, like just, just a, like underneath my heart, and lights a fire in my chest. And I feel the warmth. Like uh, it feels like like I'm sitting in front of a fire, and and then he lights the fire and says, "There now, like not in so many words, but it's it's been lit. Your job now is to to grow it, protect it, grow it, and share it." And there was more that happened, but that was that was the crux of the image, the experience, whatever you want to call this, the kind of somewhere in between dream and reality like it wasn't a dream but like whatever it was like that was almost 10 years ago and I came out of that and I did not know what the fuck it meant at all it was extraordinarily challenging and my life quickly fell apart after that and I ended up you know traveling alone and um wandering for quite a while and that whenever I needed it and over time two things would happen is one it, it would come back to me, the imagery, the experience, like the whole thing. It wasn't something I could pull meaning out of me, like, oh, that was this and this and this, and that's why. Although a lot of times I'm tempted to try. Mm-hmm. But every time I like revisit it, it has different meanings. It has different messages. It suggests, it's saying, and it's like this uh, enigma or this uh, thing I'm trying to work out that's like clearly psychoactive. Like it's planted something that's destabilized deeply Mm -hmm. in me i've never like and i've been trying to work it out ever since and it's it's guided me it's always been like the original instructions like whenever i need it it seems to show it seems to be guiding me it's Mm -hmm. something i can always come back to and 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 kind of check in with like a personal myth basically Mm -hmm. like that that's there and it never has lost like it's it's numinosity in some way of course it's not as rich as it was when it happened that was obliterating Mm -hmm. but like it's still it's still lodged in the psyche in a really deep place that i the that and the other thing i notice is that when there are times where the outside world seems to reflect back that i'm on my path by giving me showing me things or clues that correlate to that experience Mm -hmm. in profound and really really strange ways for example one of those was uh, vipassana on our vipassana retreats and i think 
I realized this maybe on the first one, but definitely by the second one, which are these 10-day silent meditation retreats that are fairly austere. Um, they're they're in the led by, um, he's now passed, but they have the tapes of him, so he still kind of leads them um, by S.N. Goenka, who is a, uh, is a spiritual teacher from the East, from... from um, I think he's from Burma. Burma, yeah, yeah. But he spent a lot of time in India mm-hmm. as well. And Vipassana uh, teaches you this method of uh, meditation. It starts, it, it, you don't start with this, you start with more of a concentration meditation for the first couple of days, but then it moves into a body scan where you're, you're kind of scanning your whole body for um, kind of experiencing kalapas or these like, these almost pinprick feelings and they can go even smaller and smaller, but like you're experiencing how your body on a physical level is always changing mm-hmm. um, and down to the very essence of nature is always changing. That's kind of the, some of the spiritual teaching in here or, or what you're looking for, or you are invited to experience or explore for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and the way you do this is by focusing your attention for multiple days uh, for 10 hours a day, meditating and eating a pretty clean um, diet and, and all that. And then once you've gotten this amount of sensitivity and focus, you shift over to this body scan. And that body scan is like bringing a circular kind of thing around your body and with your attention, scanning slowly, bringing the circle down your body and sweeping through your body up and down. Mm. And when when I was deep in it, I could feel the way my body was fluid and wasn't actually... Uh, one solid thing and not to the extreme but it was clear that this method was somehow connected to what that being was doing Mm -hmm. I was experiencing it from that being in an extraordinarily powerful way I don't think I could recreate on my own but this method seemed to be an ancient method supposedly passed down teacher to student for generations since the Buddha going Mm -hmm. with a direct line to Mm -hmm. the Buddha's insight on how to how to how to experience this profound truth for ourselves, and how to awaken from li- and be liberated and awaken from from illusion. That was a pretty wild connection that I never saw yeah. coming. You know, yeah. um, and so I've had these connections and things that maybe you would call synchronicities every so often, where I'm like, oh yeah, this is the right direction. Mm-hmm. The, that that has been guiding me in some weird way that. I don't know. It's it's in some ways that like that experience was a burden because it destroyed my life, and it was like it was like a a truth that once uncovered could not be put back in the box, like Pandora's box, right? Like something changed. I could no longer live the way I was living, and it was not clear what that meant, (laughs) other than like I, I there was no way back. Yeah. So something happened, and I'm still trying to work it out. Yeah. And I've been tracking this more through Bill Pawkins terminology and language and lens and methodology. And, and I'm finding a lot of value in that because I think he's talked, it's helping me maybe with a perspective that's been very useful for, I, I can see, I have a sense of what he might be talking about and, and, and it maps fairly well to my own experience. So I want to know why you're going the vision quest. <laughs> I think that's the answer. Right there. <laughs> um, do you feel like that's the? Do you feel like that's continuing to guide you, and that's what's telling you? It's coming up quite as clearly as I'm preparing that mm-hmm. this is connected to that. But mm-hmm. 
I'm going, I think it's a reason why I'm doing a lot of things lately that I wouldn't want to do otherwise. I feel like a part of me is being is being pulled to these things. And there's a lot of me that's like inertia and wouldn't want to do it. Because mm-hmm. a lot of me not not sure is not sure I want to go do this thing or that you know, but there's something strong that is that I'm just following. Doing these things, I think, at least this is the way I've been able to verbalize it, is because I feel like these are the things I need to do to become the elder I want to be. I resonate with that statement a lot. I feel like that's a that's a guiding principle yeah. for both of us. Um, Which has gotten me in a lot of places where I'm like, fuck, because... <laughs> Because, like, that idea is beautiful, but, like, the actual practice of it is that oftentimes that I'm in situations and doing things I don't want to do, you know? Like, yeah. Like, in the, and I don't mean that. That your ego doesn't want to do. Yeah, yeah. Like, that, there's a, that, that can be very painful and very scary where you're like, oh, yeah, that sounded like a great idea. And then when you had to do it, you're like, damn, I realized I was attached to the idea of becoming an elder rather than just doing the work for my own healing Mm -hmm. or for my own, like for more of a now situation. Yeah. It's like, yeah, cool. Like the elder thing, but also like you need to do this because like there's. Because you need to do this. Because you need to do this for yourself. (laughs) Because you, Alistair, And if you become an elder or not, like you need to do this (laughs) now, like for you, not for somebody else. Uh, there's that phenomenon, right? I think a lot of practitioners or facilitators uh, will know it. Yeah. Uh, which is like you get drawn into doing things. You think you're doing them so that you can help others, like your clients or whatever. You want to have the skill set for them. Yeah. But then you realize in order to get there, you have to do it for you. Yeah. And that can be a scary and vulnerable place. Mm. Feelings? Two weeks out? Uh, I'm nervous. Yeah, I'm definitely nervous. I'm excited. I mean, the one other thing about why I want to do this is because I sense that um, there's so much, I have a sense that there's such a, a deepening that's possible and that I'm, I'm longing for, mm-hmm. um, not only in myself, but also in my relationship with with the cosmos, with the more than human world. I don't think the way I currently relate to those realms is satisfactory. Uh, and I think more is needed, and I think more is needed collectively as well. Um, and these are these are some of the people that I think also I, I think may be able to show me a deeper way of relating um, that feels like a birthright. It feels like something something we've all been born with, um, and unfortunately, most of us have not had the circumstances arise to to realize because so maybe it's some sort of collective remembering um that would be nice it's definitely a way to think about it when i think about you know the opus of you know like bill plotkin's work and and the vision it puts out you know and i was going to say this in the beginning of the episode as a philosophical tangent um it feels very true to me so it's actually not like one or the other but Sometimes I'm not sure. I want a more. I'm very attracted to this this vision, this perspective. Not not on its own, but it's a very beautiful one. It's a very beautiful, almost impossible vision for how we could relate with the world. It's at least impossible right now for mm-hmm. most, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's the seed of a vision of how, like, 
what if we, the majority of us related to the world this way? Mm. And like that, I think it's important that we have perspectives that inspire us like that, that like I see it, I can taste it. I have my own, some of my own experience in it, but like, I'm like, that is a perspective I'd like to live out of. Mm -hmm. That is a way I'd like to be in relationship with the world. And I think that's a lot of what inspires me about this work and other work that I've studied is like, that is a very, very challenging and inspiring and beautiful way to be in relationship with the world. And sometimes I'm not even sure if truth matters as much as maybe that is truth, you know, like maybe the convergence of truth and beauty in some, some way. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'm like, give me a beautiful vision of how to relate to the world rather than a true one. I'm, I'm not sure. Mm. So I have a question to end and I don't know, this might, this might be very, uh, very personal. So you, you can take a pass. Uh, let's imagine that this episode is a time capsule for yourself because it's going to be stored away and then it's going to be released like when you come out. Yeah. What do you want to say to Alistair? <laughs> I'm excited and scared to see what you find. I love you. I love you, woman. And thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Send all the good vibes to Alistair, especially yeah. if you're listening to this on the day it comes out. Yeah. Picture him in a Welcome desert. my spirit home. Yes. Yes. Well, if you would like to support this podcast, you know what to do. You can um, buy some cacao, like on the show notes of this podcast. Cacao we have is a good great soul link. medicine. Yeah, for sure. Definitely soul medicine. Yeah, so you can buy some at the link, uh, the show notes, and it's discounted link, and you get we get a little kickback, and you enjoy great cacao, fair trade, regenerative farming, all the good things. The next way you can support this podcast is on Patreon. Uh, you can join us, patreon.com slash thefaroutcouple. We appreciate any and all small contributions even yep. if you can only donate for two months it's it makes a big deal it's more it's it's not more it is a huge energetic like support yep. i can feel that a large lot. contributions too yeah yeah sure <laughs> sure sure thing and then you can as a freebie you can just uh shoot us a review on apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast it always uh, means a lot to hear your words and what you think and if you have any suggestion for the podcast please uh please shoot them at info at the far out life we'd love to hear from you we love you we'll see you in two weeks i'll see you when i get back from the desert yeah.